0: Uh, let's, let's go ahead and start. Can you all hear me? With, does this work? Okay, let's go ahead and start. I'll open with prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day that we can come and, and hear about you. We pray that you would, uh, you would remind us who we belong to. We pray that you would remind us of uh, your goodness and your mercy, especially in walking with you, Lord, and in the trials of this life. Pray that you would open our ears to your gospel message, which I'm sure we hear from the pulpit today. We're grateful for the Psalms, and in particular this Psalm 23 that we'll hear in about an hour. We're grateful for uh, your love for us, and we pray that, that we would remind each other of that love uh, in this Sunday school. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey. Um, we have a handout here. Um do not be discouraged how long it is. We will uh, we will cruise through most of it, but you can take it home, and you can look at many of the things that we don't cover. Um, we're going to go, we've been using this book, Tim Keller, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. How many of y'all have picked it up or gotten a copy of this book? Okay, so about three, which, which is good, actually, because... Uh, i supplement that in this handout there's certain books that i've found useful to me especially as it relates to the chapter six which we'll go through the subject being the sovereignty of god which has been a a great comfort to me and i'll tell you why as we go through this i've also probably the first three pages uh... only loosely are based on chapter five so if you have the handout let's look at the, the pages and I'm going to uh, go through this, and I'm going to look up. I've, I've highlighted and underlined three basic questions. Now, where do I get these questions? The questions, are, um, the questions are what I feel like was on the mind of Adam and Eve when they were tempted. The questions have been asked long, long ago, and it's questions that um, are right in the core of who we are. So when when Adam and Eve sinned, they paused, they looked at that forbidden tree, and they asked, who decides what is truth? Who decides what is truth? Not what is truth, but who decides what is truth? Who decides what is right? What's my life for? So when when you, now think about those three questions. So when you think about the question, it's not wrong to propose the question to your heart and to your mind. What's wrong is to to answer the question in a certain way that is sinful. sinful. So what's an example? Who decides what is truth? What's an example example of a sinful way to respond to that? Give me an example. Who decides what is truth? I do. Do Do we do that periodically? (laughs) We do it and sometimes we don't even know it. And sometimes when people point out that, we don't like hearing it. Who decides what is truth? So, how does this relate to pain and suffering we 'll find out who decides what is right? Why would a, a good and merciful God allow five cops to be killed in dallas i don 't like that kind of God. who decides what is right so it can kind of un, it can kind of unhinge you and it can kind of corrupt your thinking and then we have to admit that we are influenced by other people. We hear this and we we look at that and mm-hmm. We're befuddled. We don't know how to take all this pain and suffering and evil. And it can, if we watch carefully, it does affect us. And then what is my life for? I feel like uh, Eve also asked that. So let's look at this. In the fall, Adam and Eve asked themselves three questions that God, God already gave them answers to. God already gave them answers to the questions, who decides what is truth? God said, I decide what is truth. God gave him the answer. Who decides what is right? It's me, God said. And what is my life for? God told him. Do any of us have unbiblical beliefs that, at dark times, undermine the comfort that should be derived from our Christian faith? It's a girl. Let me ask that question again. Should I close this? <laughs> like kids, only you is leave leave her? It is so good to see you. you hey. Wow. Wow. I like that about him. Though. Where was I, Ryan? Did you lose your microphone? You just dropped your microphone. Uh, do any of us? <laughs> do any of us have unbiblical truths? Do any of us have unbiblical truths? that at dark times undermine the comfort that should be derived from the Christian faith? Yes, no? Anybody want to comment on that? I suspect the answer is yes. I suspect we could spend the rest of this hour or 45 minutes talking about that. Now, is that a dangerous thing? Especially especially since each and every one of us is going to have trials, is going to have suffering, is going to have something that is just a, Earth-shaking, earth-shattering thing. So we have to get our mind thinking the way God wants us to think. It's natural for us human beings. unconscious. In a, yeah. In an unconscious... And that's, that's where it seems like the deceitfulness is. Because that question... I think all of us know the question. Yes, but I can't tell you how these unbiblical beliefs are in my heart and mind. And I don't even know how it affects my decisions or my attitudes. And then you come upon some suffering and some pain. It, it's either in your life or in the life of others. And you have these beliefs and they corrupt your thinking and you lose your comfort. And you don't even know what to say. I've been there. So there's certain operating beliefs. Now, what is an operating belief? So if, we were to, if this is a Sunday school class, so, so we could. what a typical Sunday school class that I've attended is that what do we believe? And boom, we believe this. We believe that. Here's the scripture reference. Boom, boom. And then we leave church, and to to a big degree, it affects us. Scriptural doctrine affects us. But there's also operating beliefs that we operate from, operating beliefs. And those things are what drive us. A subset of the operating beliefs is scriptural doctrine. So there's an entitlement operating belief. I've reworded some of the words that Tim Keller had. This seems to to fit a little better. He did use entitlement, but he didn't use this operating belief. An entitlement operating belief. So here's a person that has an entitlement operating belief. I deserve a better life, and God's job is to create a world in which things benefit me. Needless to say, pain, sorrow, death do not benefit me. How would you describe someone who has this operating belief? I know that's not you. How would you describe someone who has this operating belief? It's like a sort of like being in the Gulf of Mexico and you have this undertow. You don't even you don't even feel it. And it gets stronger and stronger and it just sweeps you. And operating beliefs sometimes affect you and you don't even know it. I deserve a better life, and God's job is to create a world in which things benefit me. Needless to say, pain, sorrow, and that do not benefit me. How would you describe someone who has that operating belief? Yes. Right. Right. Would this person be easy to be around or would they be prone to anger? Angry. Why would he be angry? Are we like that? Yes, we are. What else? Okay, he could be an angry person and the reason he's angry is that I deserve a better life? I'll have you know I deserve a better life, and God's job is to create a world in which things benefit me. That same person would agree with all what Scripture says about doctrine, but when when the rubber hits the road, he he knows he deserves a better life. He wants to believe he deserves a better life, and God's job is to create a world in, th- in which things benefit me. Yes. Can you can you speak up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely Absolutely And I'm, I must say that uh, When I'm angry If someone were to just Have a little GoPro And, and see the, the process Of the beginnings of anger In me As an anger Why? I deserve a better life I deserve a better wife I deserve a better this I deserve a On and on and on and on And I'm not getting it And God where are you In this process of creating a world where things benefit me. So this me-centric as opposed to Christ-centric as opposed to Lord-centric is, is, a, is happening, and it happens often, and we're not even aware of it. We become aware of it when we get stung maybe from a sermon or from devotionals, private devotionals, where we realized that the me-centric thinking is pervasive. It's everywhere in my life. So you, you get convicted and you go about, you know, you, you, you get convicted and you realize and you repent. But it's a hard thing to shake. Who decides what is true? In the Garden of Eden, we see Eve was asking herself the same question. What happens when I eat from the forbidden tree? God said, God said that I will die while Satan said I will not die. So she has, she has a, two sides of the, of the equation here. Well, God said that, Satan said that. And who's in the middle of this? Who's trying to decide? It's Eve. Do I trust God to tell me the truth or must I determine it for myself? Who decides what is true? Do I trust God? So so you can see how that plays out as it relates to pain and suffering. So regarding the subject of pain, suffering, and death, what is true? What is true is that creation and fall happen. So let's look at this aspect. In Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, so we were created to flourish... Not flounder. Genesis 1, there's no death and suffering when creation in Genesis 1 and 2. No death, no suffering, no evil, no loss of love, no triumph of darkness, no thorns, no thistles. That's what we were created for. It's exactly what we were created for. Unique design, intentional design. And then comes Genesis 3. What do we have in Genesis 3? The fall. And shows us the world's darkness unfolded out of our refusal to let God be our Lord and King, and the fall reaches us all the way out forward in history, and hits us smack dab in Fort Worth, and even hits us right now. It sticks on to us like glue. Because we rejected His authority, everything about the world stopped working as it should. Because of the fall, the world is a curse condition that falls short of its design. Human beings were not created to experience death, pain, grief, disappointment, broken relationships, disease, and natural disasters. The fall, uh, this, what I remembered. this was a quote from Blaise Pascal, who's a brilliant uh, theologian and mathematician, but I couldn't confirm that that was from him. I don't know if any of you have heard this quote. The fall is an affront to human reason. When was the first time you heard the story? You were probably young. But as an adult, so I became a Christian in my early 20s. As an adult, I, may, I was aware of the fall, but I did not embrace the fall as, a, as an absolute truth. I didn't want to believe it either. So God worked on me. So it's an affront to human reason. Say, say it again. It, what happened? But once accepted, it makes perfect sense of the human condition. Look around. What is true? Evil, pain, and suffering, and death were not part of God's original plan. This all came with the rebellion of Adam and Eve. Those who sense the wrongness in the world, are they right or are they wrong? They're correct, right? There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong. And there's a whole body of people, a lot of people, is that there's not anything wrong with the world. There's not anything wrong. No, it is something wrong. And... And there's a lot. There's a phrase that, and I've heard it at funerals, uh, where death is just part of life. Who can tell me what that means? I have no idea. It's not a comfort to me. Uh, Darwin uh, repeatedly has said that death is bad. It's ugly. It's okay to be sad. Death is not natural. We were not made to experience death and sorrow. That's why it hurts. That's why you, those tears are on your face. He's right. And it's, it's refreshing to hear that, it seems like. You were not made for that. Go ahead and cry. Go ahead and sorrow. But we don't sorrow. We don't cry the way the world cries. We have hope, and we'll get to that. Let me stop there. Uh, what questions do you have so far? I, in my mind, when I read something, I, I uh, maybe unconsciously I'll read something, and, and what I find is that more, as I get down, the arrangement of thoughts is inverted. I would like the most important thought to be first in the chapter, and often it's embedded in here. So in my mind, the power of the Holy Spirit is probably the most important thing to speak of as it relates to... Uh, discussions related to really anything, but this, discussions related to Christianity, discussions related to how do we comfort ourselves. So why do I say that? Why the Holy Spirit? Let's look at this. John seventeen seventeen. Everybody has a copy of that, so who can read that loudly and clearly? I'll, I'll read it. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. So, notice that it doesn't say your word is true. It says your word is truth. What's the difference? What's that? It's the measure. The standard. It's the standard. So, So, when you're trying to determine if something is true, so I'm trying to determine if this document, what's in here, is true. Okay, so here's the document. So, what's my point of reference? I'll take this and then... Okay, it's true. This is true. In the case of God's word, there's nothing to, there's no external source to compare to. And where sin comes in is that that external source is me and my mind and my heart. So when you read the word, and you, it, so, you, so this is, this is the, the sinful bent that we have. We read the word with an attitude of trying to decide what is true. I agree with that. Let me read further. I agree with that as opposed to declaring it truth and letting it come into me and constrain me and give me joy. How do I know that the Bible is truth? This gets to where we're, where we're going on the Holy Spirit. How do I know? Because we're talking about truth and we ask this question, who who decides what is true? Well, how do I know the Bible is truth? Say again, Randy? Scriptures prove it. How do they do that? How do they do that? The Holy, Spirit opens it to our it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. So if Scripture is to be a comfort to me, I must embrace the fact that it's God's word for me. I must... God's word for me. And who does that? Is that a process, a rational process, step by step by step, I'm convinced? Or is it the Holy Spirit? So the Westminster Confession of Faith, I almost put it in there, but the language is, was a little lofty. So, so it, the Westminster Confession of Faith of Scripture there was a, was a chapter. And the first thing they say, you may look at Scripture and it gets real flowery. It's just beautiful. It's this, it's that, it's that, it's that. It's impressive. It's deep. It's profound. It penetrates the heart on and on and on and on. Yet, all of this body of evidence that shows that it's Scripture, will not convince you that it's truth. What will convince you that it's truth? What does that Westminster Confession of Faith say? We can be very impressed. Wow. It's got me pinned. So what will convince me that it's truth? It's the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what it says. So you can, you can have esteem God's word extremely high, higher than anybody in this room. You could esteem it and... And you could look at that, but if it's just in the flesh, it's not going to work. It'll never bring you over to say that this is God's truth and this is how I need to run my life. This This is God speaking to me. So it's the Holy Spirit ultimately that convinces you that. Now once he does that, then you say this is truth. This is the standard. So if that's the truth, then what does this book say to me, to comfort me when I have pain, sorrow, and death? all around, when I have police shootings, when I have tornadoes, when I have, you name it. How, why, is, why would it be a comfort? It's because it's the truth. Now, if you do not believe that is the truth, then it's no comfort. And the only reason I believe is the Holy Spirit. So can you see that it's the Holy Spirit that's real key in all this? Because I can't convince you. I cannot do it. It's the Holy Spirit. Maybe God can use me but i'm not the holy spirit so you have to be sensitive to that because being comforted at hard times is a big deal in our lives and and you have to convince yourself you will have hard times you've already have hard times we've we've heard that 2 weeks ago when we when we shared i don't know what kind of question i asked but it, i i was just i was in a sense i was sad but i was also glad that people shared that and it it, it uh, confirmed the realities of this world that people have really tough problems in their life. What is your view of the authority? Of, why is your view of the authority of Scripture so important? It's what we've said. If you have a low view of Scripture, if the Holy Spirit has not confirmed to you that this is God's Word, it will not be a comfort. It will just be a self-help book. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. 1 Corinthians now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Capital S on that spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.9 and 10, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Turn your page on... On page two, here's another question that I think Eve was struggling with. Her first question is, uh, who decides what is true? Another question, who decides what is right? Who decides what is right? Now, you can ask, so, so here it is, here's the person who comes. Um, our son was in West Dallas at nine o'clock. When was it, Thursday or Wednesday. And um, they thought about going home. He lives in East Dallas. They did not drive through downtown. I don't even know if they had the, the rally going. I don't think they would have gone. But in any case, he was very close to the action. They lived close to downtown. He got out of his car, It almost sounds like gunfire, and then went in. So, so, you know, hearing his story, hearing all that, I could not absorb all this information. It just it was too sad. It was... It was like a time bomb to me. It it just—it was—it sounds like it was the beginning of a process of trauma for our country in general, and I don't want to really get into that. But there's a theme there, and it's a good question to ask: Who decides what is right? Who decides what is right? Will we let God decide what is right? So Eve is looking. That my eyes are looking. That tree looks mighty fine. He says, "I shouldn't touch it." Did I say that tree looks mighty fine? In fact, I can tell you why it looks good. And who does not like wisdom? Who decides what is right? That's the second question on Eve's mind. God said that it's morally right not to eat from the forbidden tree, while Satan said that it would be right to eat. And in eating, they would become like God. Do I trust God to tell me what is right or good, or must I determine it for myself? So what's your attitude about really sad situation such as what happened in Dallas or your own sad situation? What's your attitude about it? What does God say? Does he have the right to say what is right? And I find myself often uh, deciding in my mind, just not even thinking, not, not even having a rational thought, no, that's not right. That's not right. So God is in control. We'll get to the sovereignty of God. The teaching of creation and the fall removes the self-pity that afflicts people from an entitlement view of God. I deserve a better life than that. So thinking about the creation and fall and, and declaring it true because it's in Scripture by the Holy Spirit, that's us comfort. It explains the world. You're not, you're not, it explains it not in a perfect way and you could actually propose questions that are really mysterious like the source of evil. I'm not going to read all of these scriptures here, but um, all of them deal with hardship and or it shows uh, that, that God does judge the world, that God does punish sin. God does judge the world, that God does punish sin. All of these scriptures do that. Suffering and death in general is a natural consequence and just judgment of God of our sin, our view of what truth and right what is true and right will always affect our view of death and suffering. Do you believe that? I'll read it again. Suffering and death in general is a natural consequence and just judgment of God of our sin. Our view of what is true and right will always affect our view of death and suffering. It's a bit of a can of worms, but here we go. It's in your lap. Give me your comments on that. Our view... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, think of 9-11. Until the the event happens, I'm not really thinking about it. And then when it does, it's like, how in the book that -hmm. happened? Yeah. Yeah. My testimony as a Christian, first of all, would you agree that everybody is very much aware what you believe and how you operate. I'm always shocked. People have opinion of me all like we're in the workforce. They have an opinion of me and it's like, I don't even know you. <laughs> people watch you. People watch how you respond to questions, to to suffering, to death. And we've been to funerals before and sometimes we don't know half the people there. They watch you. They watch you how you relate. So you have to realize that your Christian testimony is on display, especially when there's pain, suffering, and death, especially when there's something that is just uh, 9-11-ish. And everybody knows <laughs> 9-11 is the perfect example. I saw my church uh, shaken to the core in, um, this is back in Houston, small church. Everybody knew each other real well. We operated in a, in a sort of a loose way. i got my life together. Don't you have your life together? Sure. And then 9-11 hit, and we could not get to church fast enough. We didn't have much to say. We were afraid. The the, the richness of the prayers was indicative of the fear in the heart. All of a sudden, uh, there was an extremely sense extreme sense of community. So everything was pulled back. Same is true when a hurricane hits. A hurricane hits, and it's just it's an amazing thing, the hysteria and how people look at it. Uh, will it hit? Will I be able to get out of a city of six million? And for Susie and I, she'd ask me that when we were in the car, you know, fleeing a hurricane. Johnny, will we get out? I don't know. <laughs> I'll ask again, Johnny, will we get out? No. It's, the I-10 is a parking lot. Any other questions or comments? We have one more question that we'll go through. Yes. Uh huh. And I think, I think the the proper mindset without sin can be grasped. This is me talking. The proper mindset of of how you think you'll be when when suffering comes for me, or to my loved ones. It's like I have it all straight, and I truly am resting. And then it comes. <laughs> it's like whoa, whoa, and I, I feel myself unraveling, and I feel the flesh, and I feel. I feel that I need to hear it from someone other than me and my heart and my mind because right now I'm reeling. So, so I have those thoughts in my heart and mind, but it's just cloudy. And I want to hear them from you. <laughs> I want to hear them from y'all at the time when I'm suffering, the stuff that I already know, but I'm, I'm, I'm just lost. I'm just being carried away from the, from the sin and suffering and, and uh, the issue at hand. That, to me, is how the body of Christ can help. And in fact, we do that repeatedly. Most of us, everything we hear in the sermon, we already heard before. But it's good to hear, isn't it? Because of our sin, because of the fall. Page three. Uh, Here's another operating belief. I am my own master. I claim my life to be my own. I claim no pain and suffering. My rights are not to be infringed upon. Nobody in this room would uh would say that 's not me <laughs> what i 'm saying is that you would say that 's not my belief, so there 's this other aspect of an operating belief. do we live as though we believe that, and that 's what I mean by an operating do you off, not all the time, but do you sometimes live as though you believe that? My life is my own my life is and, and sometimes you can live that way, and that 's communicating to God. Yep, I see what you're doing. You don't have to say the word, but I see that you live in your life, Johnny, in such a way that you're telling God, "My life is my own." So there's a Christian process called sanctification, and sometimes you could think of it as an extraction. So, so, so you you view yourself, me, uh, here I am, here now I'm a Christian, and there's a sanctifying process, and it's it's it feels a little bit like death. <laughs> And, and there's one chapter uh, in Calvin's Institutes. I remember looking at a big book. I can't read all these chapters. And then, boom, there's one chapter. And the summary of the Christian life is what? According to John Calvin in this fancy uh, book that he wrote. The summary of the Christian life is what? The death of self. And when I heard that, that was very insightful to me because as a as as I became a Christian, I realized that god God wants me to change, so he it's like an extraction to where the old self is this. so so parts of me and what I like and who I am can no longer fit into me being a Christian and being part of his kingdom, so he carves out in various ways, he carves out, and that's that sanctification, but there comes a point where maybe subconsciously you you, uh, you say, all right, I've got to live on something. Sort of like uh, C.S. Lewis said sometimes we look at God like the IRS, where he, they, they, just, they want it all. They want it all. I, I need something to live on here. And uh, we can have that attitude. Uh, so I claim my, my life to be my own. How would you describe someone who has an operating belief like that? They. Well, so well, they, they. We know the jargon very well, and I claim is the first two words of everything that you want that God has to get because you're trusting me to do. it hmm I could tell you stories that <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. we don't have time for all the stories that we all could share. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, how would you describe someone who has this operating belief? I claim my life to be my own. I claim no pain or suffering. Set up for disaster. Mm-hmm. Amen. Set up for disaster. Yep. And yet, so when you think about that, how does your mind react to a st- statement like that? What kind of, you're thinking, you're thinking, us versus them, right? <laughs> well, they're not here. You're here. <laughs> you're here. So. Sometimes we can get in a pickle because we operate, we have an operating belief to where we believe something. Yes, I believe it. Write it all on the board. Yes, I believe that. But as an operating belief how you actually function to where you say, I claim my life to be my own. So you, 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 when you claim your life to be your own and you hit trial after trial after trial, what happens to you? How would you describe that person? holding on holding on holding on it's my it's my own life i am a christian but i claim my life to be my own Sometimes bitter mhm to, <laughs> it's to be what you and yeah gets mm-hmm. all uh, usually it drives up you away mhm so mhm yeah it's it's like frustrating, it's like getting lost in the woods. Um, we had the grandkids over, and um it tickled them to no end because Barney Fife thought he he was like a some- supreme scout master, and what did he do? He get, He got lost in the woods, and even when he got lost, his buddy kept saying, You're lost. no, I'm not, no, I'm not and then and then he recognized that stuff. <laughs> he was just making circles. When you claim your life to be your own, you're just making circles. It's just, it's like a, it's white knuckled. And By golly, I'm going to go through this and it's me. <clears throat> As a created being, am I dependent on him and subordinate to him or do I want to put myself in the place of God? As a created being, am I dependent on him and subordinate to him or do I want to put myself in the place of God? It's a good question to ask as you come into severe suffering and trauma? Why is it a good question? Because when the rubber hits the road, that's when we really need to be dependent. Absolutely. It's easy to mouth the words. Yeah. Suppose... Absolute trauma and suffering exists right on the other side of that door and I walk through it. I, I am my master. I am dependent on nobody and I just walk through. <coughs> or suppose I am dependent on God. Now, when I die on the other side of the grave, I am dependent on God. I have scriptural proofs that show that. I am subordinate to him. So God is a sovereign God, and we'll talk about that hopefully. But I'm subordinate to him, so I'll take what he gives. And there's so much mystery. Who can question the hand of God? Steve? It's kind of a self-contradictory statement when, when you say my rights are not to be infringed upon. Because when you say that, you're making yourself dependent upon everybody else, which is contradicting what you're saying. My rights, say it. say it again. My rights are not to be infringed upon. It means I'm dependent upon everybody else to do what I want. And I just immediately subjected myself to everybody else, and now it is not possible for me to fulfill what I believe. So it's a self fulfilling prophecy. It could be. You, you just confirmed your own doom by declaring that. Yeah. And it's. we so prone to it. Yeah. And it's good to, it's good to talk about that. Yes. It kind of called uh, I am the master of my faith. I am the captain of my soul. And when I was a teenager, honestly that was dealing mm-hmm. to me at that time. Mm-hmm. But it was wrong. Or mm-hmm. not. Yeah. And and isn't it useful to to be part of a body of Christ, to remind each other th- of that? Because how many... Th- it's not about knowledge, it seems like. It's like w- we know that I can tell you maybe 20 years ago, I knew that. I, in other words, I got it. But then it falls away. And that, to me, kind of helps me to understand what sin is, is that you can know something, but you've got to live by that. And it's that living, that's the difficulty <coughs> we all know the gospel but is the gospel something that fosters gratefulness is the gospel we, we uh we have been saved we're being saved and we will be saved you know the, the, these these are the things that we can't get enough we have to encourage each other and remind each other of the same thing we hear all the time sometimes it's in slightly different uh ways so what is my life for what is my life for it's, a, it's also a very good question. And it's a question, imagine when you, when you have a burning desire to just hang on that thought in the midst of the worst suffering in your life. What is my life for? What is my life for? Now, if you haven't bought into the fact that truth is in the Bible, then where do you get that answer? The buffet of the world. The world can tell you what your life is for. Maximize joy, minimize problem. That's not useful to me. I'm in the midst of a problem. I can't do anything about. What is my life for? These scriptures, uh, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I've underlined something here which uh, which is very powerful if we let it. Because I was created for God and for his glory, I will magnify him as I respond to his great love. In fact, maybe that's it. Just what is my life for? Every day, wake up and respond to his great love. It's hard to do. It's hard to do when you're an individual and you're self-contained. It's a lot easier when you realize there's a big group of people trying to do the same thing and we can help each other. I will magnify him as I respond to his great love. My desire is to make known, to make knowing and enjoying God the passionate pursuit of my life. I I have failed miserably at that. I even hesitated to do that because you would, (laughs) people that know me would recognize the hypocrisy of that. Because I, it's not even on my radar, which is why I put it here, which is why I'm talking now, and so I'm convicted by putting it down here but I'm phoning out for you and hopefully you'll be convicted. My desire is to make knowing and enjoying God the passionate pursuit of my life. That reminds me of John Piper. He speaks like that. <laughs> Weep deeply. This one sort of helped because he's so practical. Weep deeply over the life you hope for, which is another way of saying uh, I embrace that as a fact There was a creation and a fall. So we can be sad when bad things happen. Weep deeply over the life you hoped for, hoped you would be, over the life you hoped would be. Grieve the losses, then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life you have. Can you remember who did that, actually? David. In fact, he went one step further. Now, I remember the first time I read that. Um, do you know the situation? Yes. Uh, the, his servants were fearful of what? He would kill himself. Yes. He, he cried, he cried, he cried. Then he got up, he washed his face. And what did he do? Huh? He did that. He just. I was astounded. I was astounded by that. Uh, he, he lost his child. Apparently, he had an intense love for that. Apparently, he felt God was convicting him of that. He absolutely knew he was the cause of all this. He cried, he cried, he cried, washed his face and worshipped God. It's that last three words, two words, worshipped God. My goodness. Any other questions? Mm-hmm. All of these bear Yeah Yeah. you can be worship worshipful in all situations. You can be worshipful in all sorts of activities that are normal. <laughs> bearing fruit is you, we think of bearing fruit as either activity or character traits, but you can, you can worship. and Piper says, we will always be worshiping on both sides of the grave. There'll be a time where there'll be no need for evangelism, but there'll never be a time where there's no need for worship. It's a very important subject. In the midst of suffering and trials and trauma, isn't that the last thing on your mind? It wasn't for David. I, w- I wish I was that kind of person to where it just it's just natural. Of course I want to worship. It's off my radar, and it shouldn't be. Um let me Let me do this. Um, there's something there's another chapter, Turn the page to um, turn the page to the very last page. And since none of you have the book, <laughs> I don't, the very last page doesn't follow this book. That's the good news. It does follow a book that was very influential. And it's nothing more than uh, the the title of the book. This is page six of six. I didn't want to not have to go through this. I wanted to get through this, and I realized that there's a lot in here, but you are on your own to cover the things that we did. You can pick and choose. But um, there's a book that I've read years ago. It was called The Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink. I don't know if everyone... Has, has anybody read that book? It was extremely... Uh, I felt uh, The Sovereignty of God was about... Uh, the subject matter was that yes, I believe in the Sovereign of God. Someone would challenge me. well, How did you find it? He's in control. End of thought process. And then, so what this does is 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 uh, unpack the subject, and and that's what he does in this book to a limited degree. But the sovereignty of God by A. W. Pink does it in a much more profound and deep way, a, a way that sticks. So so I. Fully embrace the subject of the sovereignty of God, and I can tell you, listen, I can tell you, it's a comfort in times of suffering. It's a comfort in times of suffering. You have to grab a hold of that subject, you have to gnaw on it like a pit bull, and not let it go every day of your life, because you will have trials. You will have times where you've, we, you, what do, what is my, what is my belief, but what is my operating belief? How do I operate? How do I live in light of this? Do I apply it? Is it a comfort? <clears throat> Let me just read this and I'll stop and comment or raise your hand or just clear your throat and comment. This is nothing more than the introduction of the book, but it's so so penetrating. We radically acknowledge that life is a profound problem and that we are surrounded by mystery on every side, but we are not like the beast of the field, ignorant of their origin and unconscious of what is before them. And here's Second Peter 1.19. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain and you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. I'm going to keep reading. One of them stop and maybe comment. Is that okay? Sure. As we turn to this word and are instructed, we discover a fundamental principle that is to be applied to every problem. Instead of beginning with man and his world and working backwards to God, we must begin with God and work down to man. In the beginning, listen carefully to these instructions of this wise teacher. And he was he was really a, a very minor pastor. If you look, he had no big churches. He had only small towns through the U.S. And he he just wrote, and he wrote very clearly. So this is wise. In, instead of beginning with man, aren't we prone to do that? So when you begin with man, when you begin with situations that your eyes see, and you're trying to make deal, make, make an understanding of that, You look at that and then you look up. He says, look up, hold, hold that thought and then trace it back down. And that helps you to to take this subject of God's sovereignty in a serious way. Apply this principle to the present situation. Begin with the world as it is today and try to work back to God and everything will seem to show that God has no connection with the world at all. But begin with God and work down to the world and light, much light is cast on the problem. Give me your comment on that. Instead of looking and commenting what you see, the the horror, the brokenness of the world, when you see that, you're tempted. Someone might tap you and what What do you think about that? And, and now you you have to respond. Instead of looking at that, go to God and trace down. Because God is a holy. Because let's see. Because God is holy his anger burns against sin because he is righteous his judgments fall on those who rebel against him because god is faithful his solemn threats are fulfilled because god is omnipotent none can resist him still less overthrow his counsel and because god is omniscient no problem can master him and no difficulty baffle him in his wisdom it, to me he's setting when i first read that he was setting the hook the way he the way he says this is is compelling You want to just read on. He's he has a high view of God, and when I read it, I wanted that high view. I wanted that high view. Um, And because God is omniscient, no problem can master him, and no difficulty baffle him in his wisdom. It is just because God is who He is and what He is that we are now beholding on earth what we do—the beginning of His outpour judgments. In view of his inflexible justice and immaculate holiness, we could not expect anything other than what, we, what is now spread before our eyes. So to me, what he's touching on here is that it is no small thing to better understand the attributes of God it, for life in general, but for suffering and pain in particular. Why would that be the case? It's because of what I just read. So if you see a situation of pain and suffering and trauma, injustice, you see the situation, he's saying don't look at the situation and and trace it back to God. Look to God and come down, trace back to the situation. When you look to God, what do you see? G-O-D. What about God? What do you know about God? What do you know about his character? You don't want to shrug your shoulders. Well, actually, I hadn't put much thought about it. What is he like? Does does the truth say anything about that? Should I be excited about that? And you can see if if your view of God, if you're not informed with God's truth, then when you look up at God, you see nothing. You don't even know. You're not informed. And you want to be informed. Because look at this car crash. Look at this cancer. Look at these five dead policemen. So when you look up and you grab hold in a clear, decisive way, the attributes of God, Step one, you have them, you have them, you have them. They are in your heart. They're in your mind. You are impressed once more. And then you turn your head at the situation. You look at it totally different. There's no finger pointing. There's no trying to come up with a human uh, answer. I'm going to have to stop there. I wish you all would have pointed out the top. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um why don't you uh, look at what we didn't cover and uh, email me or call me with any questions. I'll close. Lord, we're grateful for your sovereign goodness. And there is so much mystery wrapped around in this uh, broken world, Lord. Sometimes we don't know what to think and we certainly don't know what to say. We pray that you would comfort us, Lord, and that you would use us to be able to speak to people in, in their trials, in their dark days, Lord. Please remind us and sharpen our view and give us that eternal view, that uh, looks beyond the circumstances. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.